0: Welcome to The Busy Latter-day Saint, where righteous desires and living life come together. Here, members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints discuss their challenges and successes studying the scriptures. I'm your host Richard Bernard. The music for this program is by Marvin Goldstein and used with his permission if you have enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to leave a comment regarding this episode or the podcast in general. To leave a comment, go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash B as in boy LDS. That is Love the podcast, all one word, lovethepodcast.com forward slash B LDS. Or you can click on the link in the show notes. Marilyn, my guest today, is a third generation farmer living in Tennessee and the Stake Relief Society president. She's a bundle of energy and attacks life with positivity that is contagious. With all her responsibilities, she makes she makes time to study the scriptures. I think you will find her approach to scripture study refreshing and a great example that you are never too busy to study the scriptures and draw close to the Lord. Now, here is Marilyn. Well, Marilyn, welcome. How are you doing today?
1: I am great, thank you.
0: Good. Now, I'm sorry I heard that uh, you said, well, actually you told me your your knee popped out.
1: I had, I, I have a broken kneecap, we found out this week. And I have a—that's on one knee, and the other ankle has a Achilles tendonitis.
0: Oh my goodness! So,
1: not been my week.
0: Yeah, and you're walking, or how are you getting around?
1: Um I'm walking. It is fairly better. I have a brace, but over the night I have had a, 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 a oh. Sciatic nerve problem. So I have really fallen apart. Yes. Week. <laughs> yeah, apart.
0: it sure sounds like it. Now, how did you yeah. break a kneecap?
1: I My son uh, bought a house uh, uh, through the field here about a half a mile away from us. And I was going into his new house with my hands full of stuff. There was a just a little bit of lip on his st- uh, stairs that I my foot found, but I didn't see, and I tripped and landed on my knee. Oh. Okay. So I just found out, I, that was in October, I just found out it was fractured. I just kept right on going. Oh. Uh, it's a bu- busy person, it didn't bother me that bad, I just kept trucking. But it's been bothering me lately, so wow. <laughs> I, guess caught, I guess it caught up with me.
0: Well, now, uh, you told me you were farmers,
1: Yes, we're farmers. Um, I am a farmer's wife. I am a farmer's daughter. I am a farmer's granddaughter. So we've been farming for all my life. So uh, we raise um, corn, wheat, soybeans here.
0: Uh, how many acres do you have that you you
1: Ooh, We were from, we've we've kind of slowed down. My husband and I decided to kind of semi-retire so we're working about 500 acres that's just kind of hobby farming uh we were working uh almost 2500 and so we've just kind of slowed down and like i said just a hobby farming right now
0: a hobby farming with 500 acres okay yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> we have all the equipment so we just thought we'd well we'll just do a little bit long of it and and when we decide to quit we'll quit
0: Yeah, I'm a farmer boy, or I'm not. I'm a city boy, and uh, I don't know anything about farming other than you plant something, it grows, and you harvest it. Uh, That's I've summed up my whole knowledge of of farming.
1: Well, you know, when we're farming full time here, we start uh, before daylight, and it stops after dark, and then sometimes it goes way past dark when we're in harvest season. So, uh, you know. Um, when uh, my husband was serving in the state presidency here uh people would call you know three thirty in the afternoon or four expecting to be in and I said no he won't be in quite late Let me get your number and have him call you back if it's convenient so it's uh it's it's a good life we like it we 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 love it
0: well good well we need farmers i <laughs> Yes, we do. Without farmers, uh, we'd have a very tough time. Unfortunately, I I hear that big corporations are buying up a lot of farms.
1: Um, We, yes, uh, they're buying, not so much in this area. Uh, We have had a lot of our farmland in the surrounding counties bought up by uh, the Amish that are moving out of Pennsylvania because they've run out of farmland and they're coming here and buy, buying large tracts of land.
0: Well, that's interesting. And, they're they're, yes. they're leaving Pennsylvania. Yes. Wow. How much is an acre of farmland right now? And and, and by the oh. way, does that price depend upon what you're growing or what does it depend
1: upon? Depends on the demand more than anything else. Um, they vary in this the we live in a we live in a dominant area of Kentucky and Uh, I think there's a we're about four counties wide here, which is the dominant farming area in uh, Kentucky. There's more areas, but um, and then Tennessee that you go down into there is a large area of right through here. Uh, It varies between 10,000 to uh, 12, 15,000 an acre well now your family um you children
0: you have children
1: i have uh two children uh they're uh both older uh, i have grandchildren too uh justin um is thirty nine and zo uh and aaron is uh two years younger that makes her thirty seven
0: and how many grandchildren do you have
1: oh grandchildren uh 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 three fourteen Zoe, Zoe is 14, Christian is 10, and Mia is 18 months.
0: Okay. Now, is your uh, son a farmer?
1: Uh, no, he's not. He is uh, currently a tow, mo- tow motor driver <laughs> at a factory. Uh, what kind of driver? A tow motor. A tow motor. You know, the lifts that load things on trucks and move scaffolds? Oh, okay. All a tow right. Motor.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, now, as far as church, what church callings have you had?
1: Have I had? Yeah. Uh, uh, I have been uh, in primary. I was a Relief Society teacher. I have, when the, our stake was first organized years and years ago, I was the first stake uh, Young Women's President Um I have, I worked with LDS Family Services for about 15 years, um, off and on, uh, well, more on than off. Uh, I am currently the Stake Relief Society President now.
0: Okay. Now, I'm amazed you have time with LDS Services if you're a
1: farmer. Uh, well, you know, that you just fit in. Uh, because we were so far away, our At the time that I was serving with LDS Family Services, our office that we had was out of Atlanta. And we had representatives that would come and travel this way about once a month. And I would just take that day when they were here visiting with members and go and be coordinator, take care of the paperwork. I did some work and visiting and delivering um, people that needed appointments that were visiting, like I said, needed to see uh, the uh, uh, gentleman that was here with LDS family services. Um, I was just, Kind of the coordinator of appointment times, uh, they would uh, most of that was done through Atlanta office, but I just was the front person when they were here visiting.
0: Okay, well, you certainly are not one to just lay around and watch uh, soap operas.
1: No, uh, oh, no, no, <laughs> no, no. And, and I was doing all that while I was working full time at a bank.
0: Oh, my goodness. Uh,
1: I managed I worked for uh, our neighborhood bank for 42 years and the last um, I guess 25 years of that I managed to wow. make I was a loan officer and a manager
0: oh my so goodness.
1: I didn't sit still long
0: no you sure didn't well now your husband you said he was uh, in the state presidency what has he done he
1: uh, he has he was uh, Let's start early on. He was an Elders Quorum President years and years ago. Then uh, he was in the, uh, became a bishop, actually the youngest bishop that had ever been called in our stake at that point in time when our children were tiny. Then uh, he later became a high councilman. He then, uh, served, uh, I guess nine and a half. No, he didn't full full time. He would served in the state presidency as the, uh, second counselor, um, uh, for about, um, I think seven and a half years. No, it was nine and a half years. So he t- he, he was in full time. And then, um, after that, uh, after he uh i think we came back home to our ward he came back home to our ward for three weeks and then we were called to serve uh with the as a mom and pop for ysa uh in another branch so they transferred our records from here to about Then in the next town, which is Clarksville. It was about a 45-minute drive for us three or four times a week when we were serving with the YSAs. Uh, They were just a group at that time under one of the um, wards, which would be Clarksville uh, First Ward. And we served down there for 18 months, Um, most wonderful time of our lives. Um, The children were gone at that time. so we were, you know, had time to had time to devote to that, uh, and I was still working. Husband was still farming, and we made two, three, and four trips to Clarksville to meet with this YSA group. Loved it. Uh, we served with them till they became a branch, and then they sent us back home. And um, I w- I was back home working. Um, uh, I think I had been back to our home ward about two weeks, and then I was called to be the Stake Relief Society president. So it's just an ongoing thing. Just stay busy, stay busy.
0: Yes. And Now, um, are you currently serving as a, the Relief Society president? Yes. Yes, okay. Well, that's a that in itself is a large responsibility.
1: It is, but, you know, with the COVID going on, it's kind of been – it's almost been at a standstill to some extent. Um, a few of the a few of the sisters in their units have done some Zoom things. Some have not uh, uh, because of reasons that were uh, in the the state mandated. You know, uh, state as in Kentucky and Tennessee, the mandates for COVID were different in each stake, state. State. So, uh, it kind of limited to what we could do. Um, so we're, we're, we will start meeting full time in our unit on the 21st of March. So that would be almost a full year since, uh, we have met full schedule, um, in our unit.
0: Have you been having, have you been having zoom meetings?
1: Uh, we have had, um, of course we, you know, had sacrament here in our homes in all of the units in the stake for, oh, I don't know how many months that went on. I've just lost track of it. You know, you just do what you've got to do. Then, uh, we went, when we went back, uh, it was just for those that wanted to go, uh, And um, we start at that point in time, we went for sacrament and uh, it was sacrament only. That was it. We went for sacrament announcements were made and then out the door we went and we would have time to get home and we would have uh, it was not every Sunday, but like every other Sunday, we would have uh, Sunday school Zoom meetings and then then uh, two weeks later, we would have Elders Quorum and Relief Society combined Zoom meetings. So that's basically what we did. We uh, the stake did Zoom meetings. Um, uh, we started meeting a little bit more in person on a stake level because our numbers weren't as large, and we had a building we could spread out in. So, uh, but uh, we're having our first stake conference this coming Sunday. Um, the Saturday night session uh, is of course are not usually as large but it is not limiting number because they feel like they can spread them out enough but on Sunday they're only going to be three they have tickets so they're only going to be 350 people there that Sunday so um, it's 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 been a different world for us but uh, I think most of the sisters and brothers have handled it quite well uh, my oh, my husband, I'm thought He serves as Elder's Quorum President in our ward, our unit here. So you know, Sunday afternoons he would sit. You know, after we got back from Sacrament, or before we even were going to Sacrament, we're spent uh, calling, um, and I would make phone calls. We would sit on the front porch when it was summer. He was on one end and I was on the other, and we had our phones and we were calling and checking on our. Um, Members are um, ministering uh, assignments that we have here locally, and then I was calling and checking on uh, Relief Society presidents and um, throughout the state.
0: Oh, now were you also calling for him?
1: No, no. Oh, he was okay. doing his calling. I was on one end of the porch, and I was, and he was on the other end of the porch, and we each do our own. But we oh. we were sitting on the front porch together, watching the world go by, and you know, wasn't a lot of traffic at that point in time, and we just sat out on the porch and watched the world go by. And we, were living, we live in the middle of the Amish community, too, as I mentioned that. Uh-huh. So Sundays, the buggies are going up and, up and down. So that, uh, was, that was the bulk of the traffic that we were watching uh-huh. most of the time.
0: Well, he's Elders President, so am I. Now, how old is he?
1: Uh, Larry is 67.
0: Okay, and I'm 73. I, I told the stake president when I was called, I said, you're not supposed to call Elderscorn Presidents that are so old.
1: Well, well, I, well. He was the first one that was called in our stake after that announcement was made, and uh, he just uh, and Larry he uh, he he said he asked President Craig, "Why me?" He says, "You had more experience. You're older." <laughs> so that's the kind of way it went. Yeah.
0: Well, I tried to convince our stake president that this is for young men, not not for the old guys, but he did he didn't accept that
1: <laughs> well, I guess that's right because when I stop to think who's serving in the stake that I know of uh there are a few younger ones, but a majority of them uh are Larry's age, maybe some a couple older, but uh they've got the experience to do uh t- most of them in their previous callings were you know stake levels or previous stake presidents or uh, you know things like that uh, so they have the experience to keep and to do what needs to be doing in the elders quorum and working together with relief society portion of it and trying to get it to mesh and get the meetings going and everything
0: yeah it it's it's a lot of work it really is now your stake is covers a huge area covers two states
1: yes it does uh,
0: how long does it take you to get from one end of the stake to the other
1: well, what we—it's—it it is smaller now than it used to be. Um, when when the Hopkinsville Stake was first formed, it even went down to Fulton, and it was a uh, went from Fulton up to. It would take me two and a half hours to drive, and then there were some more adjustments. But uh, we have had a couple of units that have left to be closer to a stake center. So it does, I think the furthest I have to drive is about a 45 to an hour drive, depending on the traffic, even though it's Clarksville and it's right down the road, the traffic is terrible. Uh, It's not, it's not a huge traffic, but it's just, inconvenience and then if you go the other direction it's about an hour's drive Hmm. so for my home which is about in the middle of the state about an hour's drive either direction
0: okay well that's not as bad as i thought it would be
1: no it's not it's not really the 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 roads are good other than going to clarksville in town but uh, we have the tennessee units um are we've just uh Let's see. In the last couple of years, we have two new uh, units: uh, the Cunningham. I think Tammy served in the in uh, uh, the Cunningham unit. She was a, she left me as a counselor to go to be the first release study, and then they formed another one two weeks ago. Uh, go called Kirkwood, and th- those units. We feel like in time, this is just. Uh, State Presidency and I call them because of the growth in that area. And they are more, not city but it's, it's it's a different environment. Uh, they will probably become a stake eventually. Mm-hmm. And then the Kentucky units will come another director. It's just like a day and night situation when you're dealing with the Tennessee units versus the Kentucky units. Kentucky units are, we're a rural uh, uh, farming factories, you know, it's not, uh, there's not any other than Hopkinsville, which is the state center. There's not any real large towns. I mean, they're, you know, moderate sized towns, but nothing really, really large like Clarksville. So, uh, that Clarksville has one, two, three, four, five, five units in it, in the area of that, you know, which we, I classify as Clarksville.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's totally different to what I'm um, obviously used to. Um, I've visited with uh, well, we visited with Tammy a few times when she was there, and just for the listeners, uh, Tammy is our daughter. Yes, and, uh, she's the one that uh, referred uh, you to uh, to me, but she spoke very highly of you, and she said you're somebody I've got to talk to.
1: She is amazing. I just think she's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's not anything she's not afraid to tackle so the two of us got along well <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well that's good she like I said she spoke very highly of you well turning Thanks. to turning to the scriptures how do you approach the scriptures?
1: Oh when you're busy it's hard to do that yes most of, most of the time I just get up early if you could see, if you had your camera on you could see my dining room table and on the other end are my scriptures and my study books, and my markers, and my pencils, and uh, you know, um, you just get up early in the morning, take some time to read. Um, I have found a couple of things that, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? My phone, and my Bluetooth, and my car are really get used a lot uh, as I'm traveling to and from. Or if I want to listen to it because things are going on, I may listen to the Sunday school lesson or the Relief Society lessons several times in my activities uh, that are going on. And But I try to sit down and find time to sit and study, even if it's just a few minutes a day. And certain times of the year here, uh, it is just few a few minutes of the day, but, you know, of course, all they, they us to do is to read and, you know, and, and then sometimes it takes more times because I get busy, not busy. I get involved in what I'm reading and I want to I research what I'm reading. I go from uh, a footnote that I see something that I want to go and I go to another footnote and then I go to another footnote and, and then the hour, you know, it's an hour gone and I have to stop. So uh, it's something that you just have to make yourself do or find um, different ways to look at studying the scriptures or reading uh, your, uh, your, your Relay Society or Elder Torum lessons, just finding those. Uh, like I said, my Bluetooth in my car and my phone and speakers that are Bluetooth have become well used, well used.
0: Well, now, do you use a hard copy of the scriptures? Do you use digital? What what do you do?
1: I still try to have that hard copy of the scriptures. I've gone to those journaling scriptures. I've worn one set of scriptures out completely. And I said, well, I've just got to start all over. Uh, Where were we? We were at a stake meeting or a general authority was here. And he says, every once in a while, you just have to start all over with a clean slate of scriptures and just start all over. So I am starting all over. Uh, on the Doctrine and Covenants. And I, li- I like to make notes. I like to do that. But sometimes I listen two or three times and then I go back. Then I look for those details and I re- will read them again and mark those things. And I am just write all over them. <laughs> My scriptures are written all over, so I, I do not carry scriptures with me when I travel. I I keep my phone or my iPad, but I have a set here. Or in fact, there's probably two sets: one in my bedroom and one in the dining room that I just pick up when I'm ready to study. So with the lifestyle I have, that we have, it requires a uh, it requires a, a planning on when you're going to study. It does, but it gets done.
0: Well, now, you mentioned your car and Bluetooth. Are you listening to the Gospel Library, or are you using some other app? What are you using?
1: No, I use the Gospel Library. Gospel Library. I just try to stay as close to the church, what the church has put out now, uh, or, uh, you know, BYU or one of the church apps, of course, there's several that have got the scriptures and things on them that you can read from, but most of the time I start, try to stay pretty close to that.
0: Now, do you keep a journal?
1: Oh um, no, that's one thing I do not do. I'm I'm sorry, but it just is just does not fit in my schedule. But now, if you go and look at my date book, that's there's my journal. Oh, okay. Of, what I do, and most of the time I carry one and in the back is when, we, when I travel and um, there's notes in the back of that. So I guess I do because I've gone back to those previous date books where I have written things down and uh, find quotes or scriptures or things that the state president said or general authorities that have been here or talks that were mentioned so i do journal but it's it's a in my date book
0: yeah well there's many ways to do this that one doesn't yes. have to have a book that says journal on the cover and there's just uh, many ways to do that um <clears throat> you, you said that you um you listen to uh maybe something several times before you actually start reading it or Delving into it, are you more of an auditory learner? Yes. Oh, okay.
1: I can hear. Yes, I can. Uh, I I can. That's that's the way I learn, and then I've listened to it. I've gotten the concept of what's there, and then when I pick it up, I really go in detail and really. Do you say dissect the scriptures? Is that a proper term, or yeah. uh, the, the the scriptures and the verses and things like that?
0: Okay, and are are you one to memorize uh, scriptures at all?
1: Oh, no, don't get me to memorize. No, no. Uh, my brain's moving too fast to stop and memorize. That takes me, I have to stay in one spot longer than, than I need
0: to. Yes. Yeah, well, I have trouble memorizing, and I'm not running around like you are. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but it amazes me when people have that ability to just memorize. Not only memorize, but 10 years later, remember what they memorized. So I just, I'm, I'm really amazed with that. Now, do you and your husband study the scriptures together?
1: Mm, we, we really did during the pandemic when it was just us here, we really did. And then uh, as we have opened up, it is not always time. Um, we'll discuss it sometimes and discuss the lessons that we have been given because he's going one direction. He's going to El- Elton, which is our home unit, and I'm usually traveling somewhere else. Okay. And so uh, the time frame that we usually were studying was on Sunday afternoons. And um, with uh, with uh, my travel schedule and my parents that are in that are elderly, it kind of eats into the time of studying this t- together. But it's not that we don't discuss it, which we do. Uh, you know. Uh, when I have been at places, we'll uh, we'll come back and say, did y'all discuss this in Sunday school this week? Did you did you hear it the way I heard it? Mm. And we will go in-depth about that since we're all studying on the same scriptures. Yes.
0: Well, it's been very enlightening how um, someone as busy as you are, how you approach this. Um, what, what time do you get up in the morning?
1: Ah. Uh, Well, I wake up about 4. Now, when I get up, it's more like 5.30 to 6.30, depending on what's going on. Somewhere in that general area. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when it gets light, I'm up. (laughs) So, um, when do we stop at night? When we can't see. Okay. (laughs)
0: All right. Well, I've enjoyed the time with you. It's um, thank you. Yeah, I, I doubt if I'll ever be back in your area again since Tammy moved to Utah. But it'd be nice to meet you and um, well, uh, I'm, and, and 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 learn about farming.
1: Well, I'm hoping that Tammy is on my radar when we head west, and we want to do that this summer if oh. everything opens up. So she's on my radar to visit. So okay. Uh, uh, I, I miss her. I really do miss her. But, um, you know, um, we we just get up and go and do the things that the Lord's asked us to do. And I don't look at it as sometimes uh, people get overwhelmed with it. And um, But the Lord's going to let us do what we've been called to do. He will provide us a way to get it done. And, um, maybe I don't study the scriptures the way other individuals do, but I feel like I'm getting what I need because I feel the Lord with me all the time. So, uh, that's, that's the way I, that's the way I look at studying the scriptures.
0: Well, I think that's what it's all about. And I I don't think there is a an actual standard of what one should do. And I've been interviewing enough people for a long enough time that there's just so many different ways. But um, if it helps you connect with the spirit and provide you with revelation, then it's working.
1: Uh, There's a, there's a song uh, that if I really want to uh, get enthused and get my mind in a, in a upbeat level uh, 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 Gladys Knight did uh, a song years and years and years ago called "Sisters in Christ," and it is such a upbeat song that makes you want to. Uh, I guess they say they say that. Uh, When I'm driving into some of the church buildings, they see my car vibrating because they know I've got that song on because I'm bouncing. And sometimes we have to have the things that will drive us or not drive us, but inspire us uh, to do our callings and to do what we need to do in our lives, even if it's just a simple song. Or listening to a certain talk that inspires us. If we listen to it over and over and over again, uh, we get excited about it, and that's the way I am about certain things.
0: Well, I think those are great ways to do it. Um, music certainly touches the soul, and um, yes, we're we're asked. To- to listen to hymns even in our homes and it does invite the spirit. So I think that's great. Well, it's time for us to end. And I don't think you've ever listened to this podcast, but I always end with a testimony, your testimony. Would you mind bearing your testimony?
1: I would be glad to, you know, I- uh, I know my Heavenly Father loves me and has given me so much in our lives. He has uh, put me in contact with so many people to uplift myself. He has given me the desire to share the gospel, even in just if it's just the way I live, uh, to let people know that I love my Heavenly Father. He has uh, blessed us um, because we have continually done what the Lord has asked us to do. We've been blessed uh, in our farming operations. We have been blessed in our gospel. We've been blessed in our homes and our health. And I think it's just from following our Heavenly Father's instructions and um, uh, the President's instructions in that what we do. I know, uh, I know He loves me. I know He gives me the encouragement to go and do the things. He has given me um, the ability to never meet a stranger and to um, be able to, to love and to be able to understand and uh, to always have friends that understand uh, understand me. I know that my Heavenly Father knows, loves me and I am so thankful for my elder brother, Jesus Christ, that put, took the burdens upon the cross for me that I may do the things that I am now able to do in my life. I am thankful for the priesthood that I have in my home. I'm thankful for my children. I am thankful for good friends. I am thankful for this gospel. And I say these things in Christ's name, amen.
0: Welcome to the Busy Latter-day Saint, where righteous desires and living come together. Here members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints discuss their challenges and successes in studying the scriptures. I'm your host, Richard Bernard. The music for this program is by Marvin Goldstein and is used with his permission. Before introducing my guest, some housekeeping needs to be addressed. Each week you have heard me asking for your comments and ratings and that it is crucial to the podcast's success. This podcast is not monetized and never will be. I'm not asking for ratings to put money in my pocket. The more positive comments and five-star ratings, the easier it becomes for people to discover the podcast. The more people that discover the podcast, the greater the listenership and the more people that are helped. Currently, this podcast has a five-star rating and I thank those that have taken the time to post those comments. I'm taking the time to discuss this issue of comments and ratings because as you are also aware, I mentioned in my introduction, if you don't know how to leave a rating or comment, check the show notes for a link on how to do just that. One of my listeners notified me last week that he followed the link and still couldn't figure out how to leave a comment. His remarks started me on a two-hour journey about leaving comments and giving ratings for podcasts. I found that for most, it is not easy and that my links were of no help. Android users in particular have a problem leaving comments. Part of the problem is not... All podcast listening apps allow comments or ratings. To solve this problem, I now have a link in the show notes that will bring up the apps that do accept comments and ratings for your particular phone. You tap on the app you want to use, leave a comment and rating, and you are done. You can also enter the address in your browser. The link is easy to remember. Love the forward slash BLDS. That's love the podcast, all one word, dot com forward slash, and then B for boy, or in my case, for busy, busy Latter day Saint. B for busy, LDS. So love the podcast.com forward slash BLDS. I will also mention this in each podcast introduction in the future. Now, because it's easier to leave your comments, I encourage you to leave them about particular episodes you liked. Lastly, all of the links in my show notes will now be operational. Because of the apps I use to create show notes, I've discovered that I have to write my notes in HTML. Well, that takes care of the housekeeping portion. My guest today is Ben Reeve. I'm very excited about this interview. Ben is a young patriarch in Eagle Mountain, Utah. I think you'll find his employment and his approach to scriptures and staying in tune with the spirit of great interest. This episode has had nothing but problems. Every possible technological problem that could occur did. Then later, when editing, a newer problem occurred that had me wondering if I would even be able to use it. I began to think that perhaps someone did not want this podcast to take place. I mention this because I had no idea how I was going to correct each of the problems as they occurred, but every time, Heavenly Father showed me the way, especially in the editing process. Ideas and pictures were laid before me, guiding me, teaching me techniques that solved the problem. Also, during Ben's testimony i picked up on something and mentioned it after his testimony but before going further some background when i'm interviewing the recording starts before you actually hear it's a time to test the equipment and for the guest to ask me questions about what's going to take place At the end of the testimony, I don't stop the recording. I do take the time to thank the guest and sometimes we continue talking for a few minutes and there are times we've talked for another 10 or 20 minutes. So after Ben's testimony, I brought up something he mentioned as we talked and I realized that today's podcast needs to be part one because we have a completely different subject that I feel needs to be discussed. And how the subject ties in to striving to become more like the Savior. I asked Ben if he'd be willing to continue the podcast later in the week and he readily agreed. So for the first time I'm doing a two-parter. I'm not going to share with you next week's subject but I promise it's going to be enlightening. Perhaps as you listen to his testimony you might discover what I did. Well I've taken enough of your time so let's hear from Ben. Well, Ben. Good morning. How are you doing this morning?
2: I'm doing well. Just a normal, busy Saturday. Um, I I was just looking over my calendar, and uh, you know, I I have every hour accounted for until about six o'clock.
0: <laughs> my goodness. Well, you, well, you do have a young family. How many children do you have?
2: I have five children and uh, two boys that are um, 21 and 17. My 21-year-old is in college at Utah State in his third year, and he's studying computer science. So we were lucky and felt blessed to have him home during the time of COVID from about March until um, just January. So he went back. And he just worked a couple of jobs, saved money, and we enjoyed having him around.
0: Well, that's great. Now, now you've got three girls.
2: Yes. Um, they are 15, uh, Sonora 15, and Josie is 11, almost 12. And I have our baby is uh, six years old, Gracelyn.
0: Wow, you have quite a spread.
2: Yeah. I'll, I'll be raising kids after I'm retired. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working for Utah State government in various positions over the last 22 years. And so I'm looking uh, to retire in eight years uh, on the 30-year retirement plan for the state. Okay. Youngest will be 15 or 16, so... <laughs>
0: okay wow well, <laughs> well now what is what exactly do you do for the government government right now
2: right now i am a clinical therapist i work at the uh, uh utah department of corrections the draper site prison and i work in in, in the excel program It's a substance abuse addiction program that also focuses on what we call criminogenic factors to help rehabilitate uh, the women from uh, substance abuse addiction and criminal behavior. I've been doing that uh, for just over a year. I, I worked previously, I worked a different position at the prison. I was uh, worked on the mental health unit, working with severely, persistently mentally ill, um, individuals who are incarcerated. And um, so I'm just enjoying it. I made a switch uh, in my career. I've been doing something that I truly loved and still do love in, in in the world of substance abuse and mental health, and that was to do therapy full-time.
0: Well, that has to be very Uh, Rewarding, I guess is the right word. I, I know that everybody you work with is not going to be a success, but when it is, it must be very rewarding.
2: It is. You know, one thing that we look at, several layers we look at for success, we look at the success rate of completion for our program, and almost all of the women complete our program. We are working with the board of pardons and the liaison that that is assigned to our uh, program to help us is trying to uh, ensure that we can have the women for an adequate amount of time to get them through our program which is about 11 to um, 16 months and and so um we, we want them when they come over to have a parole date or be really close to their original parole date so that we can have time to work with them. And so when they complete our program that gives us some hope you know when they engage in the in treatment to do the things and, and make the necessary changes um, in their in their behavior patterns which is really challenging for them because, you know, the, the, the prison culture, the prison lifestyle has its own culture and really um, one of those dominating factors on the women from day to day and all of the inmates. Um, so I I do know that individuals who are incarcerated, if they can engage in some kind of uh, face-to-face contact with a therapist or staff uh, to outline some kind of goals or or um, changes in their behavior within the first six to 12 months um, there's there's a um, greater likelihood that they will they will um, not fully engage in that culture for those first uh, couple of years. But we don't always get them when they first come in. The system doesn't work that way. I I, I wish it, it was. Uh, we had better resources to be able to have that face-to-face contact within the first 6 to 12 months of being incarcerated. Yeah,
0: this can be very challenging. As you were talking, I was thinking, well, they're developing – a better attitude or better habits, but uh, that's within a, a a culture that is not what they're going to face once they get outside. So how, how do you prepare them once they get outside to to keep doing what they need to be doing?
2: Well, we, we we try to provide resources on what we call the entire continuum of care. And so after they are released from a residential uh, program you know all of all of the the women who complete our program or are discharged from our program we we do a discharge summary on them and we do clinical recommendations for them and because of the nature the history and the extensive nature in which they have practiced substance abuse addiction or being engaged in it um, and criminal behavior for most of their life, you know, our treatment program, really, we are just starting to engage in with them. So we, we recommend, we put recommendations on all of the, the women that leave. I, I don't think we've ever discharged any of them without making at least some general outpatient recommendations for them to continue treatment. So what we have is that we have these uh, community um, centers, community health centers, mental health centers, and substance abuse addiction centers uh, for transition um, to help them uh, find treatment resources Um, The society would probably refer to these as halfway houses, (laughs) Um, which really doesn't serve the purpose of what they are intended for. Um, So a lot of them will go to these facilities, and, and, and many of them, if not all of them, have some kind of requirement for sober living. And they'll stay here for, um, you know, four to six months, and resources are provided to them for for them to receive treatment. In a lot of cases, to also to uh, find work and work on and continue to develop those practices that will sustain their sobriety long term. Uh, some of them. Um, uh, will um, we'll discharge to their home and others will discharge, you know, to family members. But we always set up those practices where they can go to uh, local community mental health or if they can afford it to do their own private uh, treatment with a facility of their choosing. Um, but we... We hope that they'll continue to engage in treatment and in a variety of practices. medicaid assistance Treatment would be one of those resources. Seeing a therapist uh, on a regular basis, attending support groups, AA, NA, uh, things of that nature, and just trying to transition back into the community. When when, um, they have those what we call five pillars of recovery um, engaged in those five pillars of recovery then they have a higher um, success rate and and those five are you know having a stable place to live um, having a job um, addressing substance abuse treatment and mental health uh, treatment um, if necessary. And then the fifth one is is having family and community support.
0: Well, that brings me uh, to something I was thinking about while you were um, talking there, and that is um, we are in Utah. I guess it's kind of a more than one question here, is uh, how many of them are LDS, and how does the church fit into this if they are lds uh exactly how does this work
2: well it really depends um religion religion you know we do a lot of groups groups are a really big part of our um, treatment programs so we do a variety of groups some of them are are research based where we know that if certain practices are followed then then there's a higher likelihood that the behavior will change so in our groups we really um don't engage in a lot of religious discussion um, for a lot of reasons religion sometimes has been had a negative impact in some of our clients lives and um so we try to tread carefully with that, and there's also a lot of different religions that are practiced in in the prison, um, and they have a constitutional right to be able to to do that. So we are we are very careful in how we um, discuss that. Prior to COVID happening last March, which really has caused a lot of unplanned. Uh, interruptions in our, in our program from time to time. And we still have regular protocols where, you know, our program can be impacted for a week or two here or there. Um, so what we try to do as, as clinicians is that we address the religious question in our individual therapy, just as part of some assessment criteria to see what resources do they have in their life. That they can practice to help them to manage their recovery, and I believe that spirituality is a can be a tremendous resource. In fact, a lot of a lot of uh, treatment programs and support groups will often include spirituality and a higher power as part of a recovery process. The one that immediately comes to mind is alcoholic Anonymous. And so whenever I, I do my uh, clinical assessments, I ask about the areas of where they have support. And when religion comes up as one of those factors, I try to engage them in that to see how much they want their religion and their support. And a lot of these ladies do rely on prayer and meditation they talk about reading the scriptures, uh, but it's mostly on an individual uh, basis. Before COVID, I want to go back to the point where I was talking. Before COVID, we had uh, religious services and volunteers that would often come into the prison to do support groups um, and scripture study, and they would and they would have church on on Sundays um, and family home evening. They would come throughout the week. And so our program, when you talk about a residential program that includes a lot of aspects that should resemble what someone's life, um, the areas of support they would need in their life. And, And so we had a lot of those components prior to COVID, but we've been very limited. We no longer have volunteers coming in. We haven't for nearly a year now. And, and even visiting, face-to-face visiting, um, well, all visiting has been postponed until further notice. I do know that we are working on providing uh, video conferencing for visitation in the, in the next few months. We hope that will be up and running so that the inmates can get um, that family support. They do get... Um, a uh, number of phone calls each week. Uh, I think it's ten free phone calls a week to talk with their family members and engage in, with them that way.
0: Well, it's this is very interesting. I could um, I, I have a lot of questions I'd like to ask, but obviously our time is also limited. Um, yeah, I, I find it very, very interesting um, uh, to just, to know more and how these women end up there i assume a lot of it is because of abuse in various ways either sexual or other ways and um i just um uh, my heart goes out to them and um certainly to people like yourself who are willing to uh, to help them the best you can well as far as uh, the church and you what callings have you held
2: i have uh... Held a number of callings. Do you want do you want me to go or uh, a brief history? I guess. Yes. The, I I think the very first calling. I don't even know if it was a calling. Um, but I, <laughs> I remember, uh, when I joined a church in February, February 25th, 1990. I I knew I knew without a doubt. You know, after I had prayed and put in a significant amount of studying the scriptures and praying and asking questions, I I knew the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was was Christ's Church, and and I I could I could feel the changes that were happening in my life as a result of that, even before I was baptized, because some decisions I had made. So after I joined the church, I was still engaging with the missionaries and just talking with them. Of course, um, I didn't have the priesthood or anything, but I, I went out with the missionaries to, to I don't know, probably shouldn't be saying this, but I went out with them to teach. <laughs> I, I guess I was an unofficial ward missionary. Um. And I did that for uh, a month or so, and then I received a running priesthood uh, that um, March. And and then I I didn't receive I think my first calling was a home teacher I guess if you could could say it that way. And so I joined a church. I was in San Bernardino, California, and I was in the military, staying at Northern Air Force Base which is no longer around um so i had a really unique dilemma we did not have a organized ward on the air force base so i continued to go to the to the ward the san bernardino seventh ward just outside the base about a mile um outside the base so i would go and engage with the saints that way and and i can't recall no, they didn't give me a calling. Um, I I was a home teacher, and 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 that I decided that I wanted to go on a mission. So I started engaging in the preparation for that and my discharge papers and and a lot of things that I had uh, possession of, like a, a brand new truck I had just bought. I had to sell it. <laughs> and uh so i guess my first official calling was a full-time missionary i had served four and a half years in the air force as a firefighter and and i wanted to just go and serve a mission so i was 24 years old when i went on my mission and i was i was fortunate enough to have that blessing at a point in my life when i didn't know that those kind of opportunities existed and the the San Bernardino stake and the seventh ward really rallied around me. I'm thankful to them still for the blessings they provided for me to to be nurtured as the scripture says, nurtured in the word of God. <laughs> and um and they and they contributed financially for me to serve a mission. Um, and so I, I did that I went to Independence, Missouri mission and, and I served for two years and one month. <laughs> Back then you could opt to have an extension of your mission, but they only let you stay for a month. So I, I stayed for an additional month <laughs> and, and I, and I served, um, uh, the best I could and, and I felt like the Lord Guided me and my companions and, and a lot of the missionaries to do His work. I consider a lot of those experiences miracles of how we were able to find the people we found when they needed to be found, and, and I'm grateful to Heavenly Father for that. And um, after after um, my mission, I served as a ward missionary back home in in Milledgeville, Georgia, where I was born and raised. I went back home for a little while and served as a work missionary to to work with the missionaries there in Milledgeville and the surrounding areas. Um, then I went to Rick's College and served as a Eldest Corn president counselor and then and then the next semester I was called as the Eldest corn president and 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 then Shortly after that, you know, during the summer, I guess, the the spring and summer, I served as a a ward missionary and um, transitioned to Utah, where we lived in Provo. I served, uh, had a number of callings there, Um, was a gospel uh, doctrine teacher, was more like teaching the self-reliance classes. That was one of the early callings I had, and, and um, a number of teaching callings. I served in. had a state calling working with the young men with with um, second council in the state presidency at that time. And most of the callings have been teaching callings in elders quorum. I served um, in one of the wards in Provo, I, I served as an eldest quorum counselor and under three different stake presidents, not stake presidents, but uh, eldest quorum presidents. It was a funny little thing, like every, you know, they call a new eldest quorum president and then he would then call me either as the first counselor or the second counselor, and that happened three consecutive times. I never <laughs> had anything happen like that before. But but that was those were fun times when we were newly married and trying to understand how to live the gospel as a young married couple with one or two children. Those things always present uh, different challenges. And we were also going to school full-time, and I was working part-time. Um Let me see um, just trying to think, well, I guess in transition to here, and I now live in Eagle Mountain and I lived here for 12 years. And the callings that I've had here were, again, uh, a number of teaching, callings, gospel doctrine, gospel principals class i was a sunday school president in in the ward and that and that was fun i really liked that calling just um well i i've learned from all of the callings that i've had and this principal recently that came to me about you know when i was now engaged in the calling of being a patriarch and i often think about some of the things that I, are revealed to me through these blessings, and I've often wondered why individuals would say, "Oh, I will never do that calling." If the bishop asks me to do a certain calling, I I will say no. <laughs> and and I've and I thought about that before, and the conclusion one of the conclusions that I come to is that. I think we often see ourselves for what we can do and what our abilities are and what our talents and gifts are when we receive a calling. And we can comfortably, we might comfortably say, oh, yeah, I can do that because I have this ability. Or then we say, I cannot do that because I don't have that ability. I think one of the great blessings and insights that we fail to observe is that these callings come through inspiration of god our heavenly father so he sees something in us that we don't see in ourselves so i believe a lot of times it's an act of faith to accept a calling um, to know that god is going to help you like president monson taught many years ago that when we are on the lord's errand we're, we're entitled to his help. And I and I'd probably paraphrase that very badly. <laughs> um, but uh, just tr- continuing to transition with the callings, I served uh, in a number of teaching callings, and and um, then I was called when our stakes split a number of years ago. I want to say uh, six years ago, I was called to serve as a second counselor in the state presidency for about two and a half years until i was most recently called to be a state patriarch and that's where i'm currently serving
0: well well now getting into the scriptures and serving as a patriarch um, how do the scriptures figure into your daily life and, and how does that prepare you within your calling as a patriarch? And you are the second patriarch that I have interviewed, um, and I always find it interesting how patriarchs live their lives so that they're always in tune with the spirit uh, to be able to give these blessings. So, what? How do you? How do you prepare every day? What? What do you do? I mean, uh, you've got a full time job, obviously, that is taking and helping other people. Um, how do the scriptures play in your life in all of this?
2: The scriptures serve a vital part of of how I continue to stay close to the Spirit. Uh, one of the things that I have learned to practice where I have seen a great uh, benefit and blessing in my life, I have decided that whenever I I'm about to do something that requires me to engage with someone spiritually on behalf of the Lord or because of the responsibility of a calling, I will seek revelation. And I try to seek the spirit and mostly through prayer. And when I am able to, I I read the scriptures. And not just read the scriptures, but I try to ponder them in a way that might be applicable to an interaction that I'm about to have, um, or a talk, or a lesson, and and so I constantly strive to um, read and study the scriptures on a regular basis, and and I I've learned a, a little differently, probably due to the nature of of my calling when I am preparing for a blessing. Uh, my personal scripture study has become uh, more based, uh, mostly based on my, my calling. So I'm often thinking about individuals now when I read scriptures. and And so I try to set out time in the morning to read them. When I'm not able to, I will listen to them in my car on the way to work. Um, there are times where I take a break at work, and I will read my scriptures. When I was working my last job, I I, I would carry a copy of the Book of Mormon in my backpack, and and there was a, a park that a local park uh, near where I worked. Um, so in the spring, I would get on the on the on the tracks, and I would take my bike and put it on the bus, and then I would ride my bike to the park, and I would just sit on the bench for 20, 30 minutes and read the Book of Mormon. And I would read it on the bus wherever I am. I I, I look for opportunity to read the scriptures. If I'm waiting in a grocery line, I might <laughs> I might pull out my phone and read them. But I found it the most impactful is when I can take time in a quiet place in the morning um, to read them. And, of course, uh, engaging with my family um, three to five times a week doing Come Follow Me has been a, a great addition to that spiritual process. So um, there there are three Um, principles that I uh, really stick to when I when I'm preparing for a blessing or trying to keep the spirit with me is one to seek revelation through all through every means that God has provided and that includes listening to music that would inspire um, revelation I seek um, through pondering the scriptures, having what the scriptures call the holy conversation about the gospel will allow me to feel the spirit as well. And so the second principle is to understand what the revelation means to me personally. Because a lot of what Heavenly Father uh, sends to us or speaks to us, um, he's he's speaking to us on a personal level. Um, so it's important to strive to understand what, how how the Spirit speaks to us. Now there are some universal ways that have been revealed to us in the scriptures, how the Lord speaks uh, through a still small voice, who um, are burning uh, of your bosom. And also that he he said he will enlighten your mind. Um, all of those are ways that he speaks. But there's still a personal way that Heavenly Father speaks to us. <clears throat> I recall an experience early in my conversion. Um, it probably been it was probably the spring of of 1990. I can't remember the trial or the nature of the trial I was having. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I was I was going through a phase where I was I was having um, some regret about something, and and it was related to a past experience, <clears throat> but but it felt like it was still happening to me then that that moment Uh, but it was something that I had uh, recalled and I was really just praying to the Lord and I asked him why Um, did he wait so long (laughs) to to uh, bring the gospel to my life and and, and the answer, the way he answered my prayer was very different than what I expected. The Holy Spirit actually quoted a scripture to me. <laughs> and, uh, and it's something that has stuck with me for a long time in my life. Do you mind if I share the scripture?
0: No, go ahead, please.
2: And it's one of my, my favorite scriptures. Um, that that you know it left an impression upon me and so it just stays with me and and it has different applications in my life still. And the scripture is found in Matthew chapter eleven. And and this scripture came to my mind and I and I, I love to study the scriptures. I I want to get back into the habit, what I used to do is just write a scripture down for the day on an index card, and I take it and I keep it in my pocket. And when I pause for time in a grocery line or something, I just take it out and I read it. And so um, the scripture here is, is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. And it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor." and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the when that scripture came to my mind, I I thought, okay, it was it was my choosing, part of my my opportunity to have these blessings that I currently have was based on situations, certain conditions, and, and some preparation that I still had to go through. And I think about the phrase that we use sometimes in, in missionary work when we find what we call a golden investigator. And I'm using air quotes, you can't see that. (laughs) But a golden investigator, you know, what we term someone who is just ready and to receive the gospel. But I think what we fail to realize a lot is that that person is golden because they have been on a spiritual journey with the Lord. And the Lord has been teaching them for quite some time about life and and principles of goodness and and trial and and how you come about so those hearts are really prime they're in the best soil and they're ready to receive the gospel so when that scripture came to my mind i was like okay i was not ready <laughs> and and now i am and now i will come to the lord with my burdens and you know, from this time forward, I, I will strive to do that. And, uh, so I, I just try to be, uh, spiritual. You mentioned my work. Um, I try, um, uh, to be, to live the gospel in every aspect of my life, which is challenging. It's not an easy thing because, you know, I have, I have a young family and my young family, I have to teach them and, how to be responsible and and they have their own agency and they children don't readily engage in what you want all the time they have their own minds and so I have five of them they're all different and so engaging with them and teaching them tough lessons sometimes um, you have to just observe how to do that in a way that can still preserve that relationship with your child and so I'm always trying to pray and understand how how to do that and so even when I go to work I find opportunities to pray I'll share an experience with you Um, had a really difficult client and uh, had been trying some uh, therapeutic interventions and some behavioral uh, things Um, I won't, I won't go into too much detail for, you know, because of confidentiality, but, um, I ran into, I had a roadblock. I just didn't know how to reach this client. So I, I went and right before, um, I met with her, I found a quiet place at work and I, and I prayed and I presented my case to the Lord and said, I tried all these different things. I don't have anything in my mind right now that. Because I knew the situation and I knew this this woman was in a desperate place and she was seeking for help. And I mean an answer, like like anything specific. But as I engaged with the the client in the individual session, I started to see Things and understand things. I start to listen better, and as the conversation progressed, she presented um, a problem, and then the spirit, and then the spirit showed me uh, how to address this problem. And and she, I think she knew it because when I talked about the principle of how she can change her behavior. She was like wow thank you i never thought of that and i knew i wasn't it wasn't me it was the spirit and and so that's another way how i i, I just try to stay um close to the lord is that i seek i seek the spirit in a lot of different aspects in my life but i'm also working to try and find those things, because the Lord, He expects us to work. He expects us to come up with our own ideas, and and He can either confirm those things that we've done, or build on them, or just flat out tell us that, hey, that's not a good idea. <laughs> and we And we have some of those references in the scriptures and the church history. It happened with the Prophet Joseph Smith, with the 116 pages when he translated Book of Mormon. And I think a lot of LDS people are familiar with that story. Um, and it happened with the brother of Jared. Um, and and the Lord asked him, what would you have me do? <laughs> That's a very different way to approach a situation. And with Nephi, he didn't, he didn't say... Um, you know, um, I can't build a ship. He said, show me where I can get ore so I can make a billows because I'm going to need metal to build a ship. And so the Lord expects us to work. And and Richard, that's what I I, I, I try to work and make myself available. I, I've never prayed as much as I <laughs> do now for revelation and just trying to repent daily um, to be a vessel for revelation.
0: Well, I think you've said some uh, very important things here, and you've mentioned the word seek revelation quite a few times, Uh, and you had your three principles. Uh, You seek revelation through various means such as music and uh, listening to the scriptures and pondering. Number two, you said you look for meaning of revelation personally. What What is the third principle?
2: Whenever Heavenly Father provides revelation, He expects us to act on it. We must learn to act on it for many reasons, to learn to trust our Heavenly Father, um, to build on our, our testimony and faith. And He wants us to be that is the, an opportunity for us to also be an independent agent, even though we are responding to something that he's revealed to us and something that he wants, we are still using our agency. And as we respond to that revelation, he he learns to trust us and he, he will provide more and he will learn to trust us more. And so it's a, it's a relationship that if I engage with him in faith, he will help me in every aspect of my life.
0: Well, thank you. Um, there is there is something as you talk about seeking. A lot of members of the church, I, I sometimes get a feeling that they think, well, revelation will come when it comes. But I think there's a lot to be said when you said you seek Revelation, you're not you're not being passive. You're turning to the Lord and asking for revelation, and I think this is one of the keys that we often forget about.
2: I I agree, and I have I have been I've had passive um, phases in my life of of that very thing. Um, you know, um, I. I look at words and phrases in the scriptures sometimes and I I ponder on them. You know, I think about the phrase in Isaiah where he says those who wait on the Lord shall mount up as as eagles. I'm, I'm paraphrasing again. I shouldn't do that, but and and so the word wait just kind of stood out to me one day and, and I was, and I asked myself, I said, does the Lord just want me to sit around and just wait for things to happen? And, uh, of course the answer, um, was no. And, um, so, um, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, I believe, um, some years ago, I want to see what year was this, 2010. But he, he uh, gave a talk at General Conference called Waiting on the Lord. There it is. It is uh, actually it's uh, 2020 October General Conference. So um, he talked about waiting on the Lord as a way to exercise faith and trust. And not, and not just um, sit around and, and be passive. So, he, and, and here's a quote from his talk. He says, faith means trusting God in good times and bad, even if that includes some suffering until we see his arm revealed in our behalf. And I think we often want the Lord to immediately reveal himself in our hour or moment of need, it doesn't always happen that way. I mean, there are times when I have received immediate um, attention for a thing that has troubled me, and there are other times where I've had to pray for days or weeks uh, to to find an answer um, to those to those concerns
0: yes sometimes it takes a while and sometimes it's immediate and um, I remember that talk Uh, in fact I think we even had that talk as a uh, subject in our elders quorum if I remember correctly it's it's a great talk well we're nearing our time here to end and um, I don't know if you've listened to these podcasts before of mine, but I always ask my guests if they would please uh, bear their testimony, and that's how we will end.
2: Well, I, I uh, Richard, I grew up in a home where the faith of my mother and the silent strength of my dad really were key factors. And a lot of things that we did. I have memories of times when I walked. My mom's bedroom door was cracked open and I could just see her kneeling and praying. And I would wait and sometimes, you know, she would get up and sit on her bed and sometimes she would she would be really emotional and she would be crying and and um, I grew up believing in, in Heavenly Father and God because and mostly because my, my mother and her faith. And she had this had this sign on our kitchen wall. and it fell down and it broke. There were uh, praying hands, uh, a set of hands that were clasped together in prayer. And it read, a family that prays together, stays together. And it fell down and part of the hands got broke off, but my mom was still hanging up. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so I think in a way, I've, I've always known that God is our father and that he will sustain his children and their in their trials and circumstances but never has that knowledge been more clear than it is now in my life. I am 54 years old now and I've seen a lot of things in my life and experienced uh, racism in nearly every state that I've lived in and I've lived in Or visited 14 different states throughout my life and stayed. Um, And so I made a decision a long time ago um, um, that I was going to either be angry at the world and fight against the world with my fist or whatever, or I was going to have to find some peace, some kind of peace um, about these things and my heavenly father was the answer i know that jesus that he sent into the world to redeem us and help all of those who who would petition to him through faith and i have also learned that his grace even shines upon those who are not aware i love the phrase in the book of mormon where Alma and the sons of Mosiah, you know, they are recalling their the success of their work, and and um, there's a later phrase that references that, and the Lord is speaking to one of the one of the sons of Nephi later in the Book of Mormon. He says he converted the Lamanites, and they didn't know it. And, and I, and I think the Lord blesses a lot of us like that, (laughs) but man, how beautiful it is when we come to the knowledge that he's right there. And it's, it's the most sacred thing that I have, my testimony. And, and I love my heavenly father and I love Jesus Christ. And I know this work is true of what I'm doing, um, with patriarchal blessings and all the work that I engaged in in regards to exercising the priesthood of God to serve His children, is a very real power that we are able to access through principles of righteousness. I, I I believe that with all my heart, and this church is true, and it's it will yet. Um, you know, bless the entire world with the blessings that many of us experience individually and in our families. And I'm very grateful that I can be a part of that. And, um, and I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.